when we go one, we go all. (laughs) (laughs) This is the Let's Unpack That QAnon episode. Uh, I guess this is kind of like our second or third episode on this one. We've definitely talked about it before. Yeah, and it's honestly like difficult to talk about um, (laughs) for... (laughs) A variety of reasons and like you know andrew and i um both have family members who have been infiltrated by QAnon, or at least like some QAnon light beliefs um and we both kind of like laugh about it but i think it's because it's like the only way to sort of <laughs> process the fact that like some of our family members very close family members believe in some of these things um so i'm excited for this episode i'm all nervous for this episode um and i think that you'll find this episode very enlightening as a listener. It's just Andrew and I again, and tonight we are talking QAnon, and we are unpacking <sighs> what's up with QAnon. Where have they been? Where are they? Where? Where are they? Where, who are they talking to? Where are their friends? Where are their followers? Where's the Q? What's going on with the cabal? It's <laughs> my favorite word. It's it's such a powerful word. It's a great word. It, it can mean just so many things. It's it's really conjures it up. And I think it's a great time to do this episode. Um, People might think off the bat that this is late because QAnon was such a big thing like a year ago. But I think it's important to do it now because QAnon's kind of disappeared. Where's Q? Q hasn't posted in a while, right? Um, But it's important to understand Q's influence. Yeah. Well, we're going to tell you all about Q tonight today whenever you're listening to this we're recording this tonight um because this is let's unpack that and this is what we do we unpack topics at the top of our minds through the lens of anxiety depression conspiracy theories marjorie taylor green's brain and everything in between um and joining me today is just andrew andrew uh where are you and what are you drinking i am in my office and i am drinking a (laughs) toppling goliath king sue which is one of my favorite IPAs. Okay. Can we unpack that name for a second? Toppling Goliath. Okay. So we've got a biblical story in there. Who's King Sue? So this is a brewery that's in Iowa. Um, And if you know anything about the American Midwest, there are a lot of fossils out in the, in the Midwest. And Sue is a uh, Tyrannosaurus Rex fossil. One of the most complete that has been found. So of course, Tyrannosaurus Rex, Rex meaning king. So that's where the name comes from. Interesting. So when you said, you know, the Midwest and Sioux, I was like, is this an indigenous people's beer with the word king (laughs) with the word king in it i was like i'm offended like i'm I'm not indigenous (laughs) this is an audio medium it's it's not a video medium but if you could see the can design it has a big t-rex on it so that that's a little bit of a, a hint well, I love it. I just poured myself a new money hazy IPA. It has a picture of a Monopoly man on it dressed in a trucker hat, um, but with a gold chain and like very kind of early 2000s shoes and saggy jeans. And he's holding a bag of cash. So he's also hopping over the treasure chest on the Monopoly board, jumping towards the luxury tax. 
um, over Bridge Street, which is the main street in my town. So it's super cute, actually, um, but also like really cool. It like the colors of it are that kind of like Monopoly board green. Um, and I quite enjoy this beer. And I'm happy that I picked up a four pack tonight because I'm not going to live in this town for much longer. But we'll talk about that in another episode. When we come back, our Q drop. Where is QAnon now? All right, we are back, and today we're unpacking QAnon. Where is Q now? QAnon, if you don't know, is an online conspiracy theory that claims that Donald Trump is waging a secret war against a deep state of Democratic elites and Hollywood stars who are pedophiles and Satan worshipers. Cannibalism is also a part of it as well. And we haven't heard from Q in a little while, and we're going to unpack why we maybe haven't today. Um, if you're not familiar with Q, dates are very important within QAnon. Um, they have been since it's sort of like inception, when it started really ramping up about four years ago in 2017. Um, but there's been a lot of different kind of inflection points recently. So there was the Great Storm, which was the January 6th insurrection on the Capitol Hill. That's been directly tied to QAnon. Um, then after that was January 20th, which was Inauguration Day, when the global cabal was supposed to be exposed. And the global cabal was those Democratic elites and Hollywood stars being exposed and locked in jail for pedophilia. And then on March 4th, there was supposed to be a malicious storming, also in Washington, D.C., of Congress. So... Um, all of these dates have obviously uh, 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 failed, with the exception of January 6th. Um, security has obviously beefed up around the Capitol. Um, you know, there's there's um, a lot more awareness, I think, around this now. The FBI has come out again and said that white supremacist conspiracy theorists are the biggest threat to the United States right now. Um, that's not something that's covered on the news all that often, um, but we are going to cover it here. When I think about these dates, the 6th, the 20th, March 4th, they keep, these dates keep moving. There are moving targets here with sort of like when Q is going to hit and when Q is going to do something. But for the most part, Q has been fairly quiet over the last, you know, five or six months. The last actual Q drop um, was on December 8th, 2020. And that consisted of a YouTube link to a pro-Trump video featuring the song, We're Not Gonna Take It, from the 80s heavy metal band, Twisted Sister. Number one, I just love Twisted Sister so much. And it's I fucking love, fantastic. It, that song is so good and it makes me so mad. Um, that it's used for stuff like this. But again, you get the idea, right? We're not going to take it, right? It's 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 a revolt. It's an uprising. It's believing that the government is against you. But we want to do kind of a quick history lesson about where some of these things came from and then talk about how they have infiltrated the mainstream, despite the fact that we haven't really heard from Q in about five, six months. Um, so Andrew, you know, I think one of the things that is most confusing to me about this and about the documentary we both watched recently, Q Into the Storm, which is on HBO Max, highly recommend that you watch it. Um, but I know we both watched it. And, you know, there's this like language about 4chan and 8chan and 8kun and Reddit. There's like these couple different websites, basically, message boards that like 
I don't, number one, understand the difference between them. And like, I also don't necessarily understand like how these things sort of come to be. Like I can process it now, but like when it's happening, like what does that look like? Um, when people release a, a Q drop, a Q hint, like where are they releasing them? <laughs> yeah, so to kind of preface this like, conspiracy theories are something that I have always had an interest in. And I'm not really a believer in any of the major conspiracy theories that people know. Um, I, it's just something that to me is very fascinating. I love storytelling um, and conspiracy theories are really storytelling. Um, so they're kind of fun to think about when it's something that really doesn't impact your life. But Q is something that has come to impact our life. So it's not just kind <laughs> of a fun thing to think about. Um, and and by by impacting your life, you mean that you're now a fully fledged member of Q. I am Q. Oh, <laughs> shit. I didn't mean to say that. Oh. I we're going to have to edit that out. Um, <laughs> impacting our lives in the, in the fact that there were people that broke into the United States Capitol wearing QAnon merch, basically. That they purchased on Amazon. <laughs> that they purchased on Amazon. So you you bring up a good point. Where does this stuff happen? I, you know, a lot of people have sort of a sanitized view of the internet now. You know, back in the 90s when the internet was sort of becoming more of a thing, there was these message boards, these bulletin board services, and it was a much more technical thing to use. And now in this day and age, you have an app on your phone and it goes to Facebook and like, it's not really the internet, but it's on the internet and it feeds you stuff through Facebook or Instagram or Twitter, or, you know, you go into the Apple news app and it aggregates all these different news sources and stuff. So we're kind of divorced from the internet. Most people, you know, you go to Google or whatever it is you do. Um, but there's there's an internet out there that kind of started in the 90s and in the early 2000s that is a little bit inaccessible um, to your average person. Your average person's not going to go there. It's harder to find it from a Google search. Because like, like people think that Reddit is confusing. And I did too until I was on it. And, and Reddit is one of the, the bigger websites. And depending on where you are on Reddit, you're going to get a completely different political take. You're going to get very left-leaning politics, or you're going to get very right-leaning politics, or you're just going to get a bunch of funny cat pictures. Um, and this is like further than that. It's like further and deeper than Reddit. Like Starting in Japan in the early 2000s, there were these things called image boards, and they really kind of grew out of the bulletin board services of the 90s, which were very text-based, as a lot of the internet was in the 90s because bandwidth was very limited. So as bandwidth became more readily available, now you have image boards um, growing out of Asian internet markets, and they were still very simple websites, kind of forums, but very based around posting an image and maybe adding a little bit of text to it um, and then responding to that image with another image. That's why they're called image boards. So one of the most prominent English language um, image boards that grew out of that tradition is 4chan, which was started by a young American man. And it's very much the same thing. 
very, very simple, not a lot to the website. And it's mostly just about posting images. And he really did it so that, you know, he had an English language version of these Japanese sites that he went to. And it started as a way of posting anime that you were into and kind of stuff along those lines, kind of more nerd or geek culture. Um, Again, stuff that really wasn't in the mainstream of American or Western culture. This was something that he also kind of by necessity, because he was just basically a teenager in his room, uh, was creating, he didn't have a lot of money to have a lot of bandwidth or have a lot of infrastructure. So he obviously was not very heavily moderated. And as a lot of American white male teenagers were and are, um, you kind of have these libertarian views of free speech or whatever. So you don't really want to moderate that site a lot because you might have these free speech views. So it kind of devolved into the cesspool of just really heinous stuff, stuff that's borderline. And really in the early two thousands, when this site first came was, was first created um, it's stuff that wasn't even borderline. It crossed the line. There was child pornography. There was extremely graphic, violent video content that was there just because it it was an individual running the site. He just didn't have the capacity to moderate the site in, in the way that it needed to be moderated after it started to grow. Eventually there was a, moderating system put into place um, and they were trying to clean it up a little bit more as the years went on he eventually sold the website to um, one of the people that ran one of the Japanese image boards so then even more moderation was put in and at that point the people that had used the site many of them young males in America who were looking for this free speech were very perpetually online, um, kind of had these online social lives and not a lot of like in real life social life as they would call it, um, sort of became less interested in this in 4chan because there was more moderation and there's, (laughs) without getting into it too much, there's sort of friction between like the image board world and like the Reddit world where Reddit is, is too moderated and they want the less moderation of the image board world. Um, So a, a young man named Frederick Brennan kind of did what the original founder of 4chan did. He went off on his own and he created 8chan, which was in again, a less moderated image board. Um, And it was just him in his bedroom for a long time. And all those people that were having issues posting more extreme content on 4chan migrated to 8chan. So to sort of parrot it back, because like I can imagine that if this is like difficult for some people to understand like the way that you're describing it to me is like what i'm picturing 
is like my Zanga, right? Like my kind of blog, like, you know, what was that? 2004, 2005, 2006 that I had a Zanga and you could post what your favorite song was. At some point you could play music on your website. You know, there was a couple points where, you know, you could do sort of like blog updates. You could, you know, say who you were dating, but the site never like took off. It stayed as a primarily text-based website. It was not a lot of images. Maybe you had a profile image. Maybe you could post an image with one of your blog posts, but it was really like something that you created for yourself that anybody could kind of edit. And there was a piece of it that was sort of, it felt like free speech because, you know, like you weren't necessarily even interacting or engaging. You were just kind of posting your own thoughts. And then as you continue to describe it, like I picture these people who are like mostly sort of and I don't want to lump these people in the same community, like sort of like gamers, a little bit more of like nerd culture, geek culture. Like I remember as a high school student, you would go on 4chan to see the video that you couldn't find on YouTube. You know, like I remember there was like this press conference of this elected official who, you know, shot himself in the head at a press conference. And we all thought as high school boys that this was something that was like so ridiculous and we had to see it. And, you know, so we found that video, but you couldn't find that on YouTube. You know, you definitely weren't finding it on Facebook. Um, So you would go to like 4chan to see this sort of like edgy content, you know, that's how I'm kind of like viewing it. It was like your, your kind of, more reckless version of of the internet because there was that free speech component, right? There was also this idea of anonymity. So you didn't have a profile, right? Your profile wasn't, hi, I'm Paul and I live here and here's my interests and here are the groups I'm a part of and here's my favorite songs. It's like more like I'm pushing stuff into the world and the stuff that I'm pushing is a little bit edgier. And I like the edgier sort of free speech of this because it makes me feel like cool and part of something. I don't know. That's kind of like what I'm envisioning while you're talking. That's exactly right. And you do bring up a good point. So in the early 2000s and going into the 2010s, there were these websites, GeoCities, Zanga, MySpace, where you could have a profile. And there was a little bit of an anonymity if you wanted it, Um, but you could also make it more about yourself. But what makes image boards distinct from the rest of that internet culture at that time was the pure anonymity and the kind of fleeting ephemeral nature of the posting there. So you didn't have a profile that people could go and visit. You didn't have to register and log in the way it works is it's sort of more like a forum, right? Everybody's kind of seen an internet forum where you go in and there's topics and there's posts under that topic and then there's threads under that post and people respond. But often those topics and those threads and those posts live for a very long time and you can Google something and you can find a post about it on some backwater forum from 2004 and those posts are still there. That's not the case with these image boards. So the image boards are broken down into sections by topic, anime or hardcore porn or politics. The distinction between 8chan and 4chan is 4chan had topics and sections that were set by the owner of the website, 8chan was kind of more like Reddit. 
in a way where you could create whatever topic you wanted and just add it to the website. You didn't need Frederick Brennan's creator's approval to make a topic and make a section. Um, but it, they both kind of function in the same way where, and really all image boards do where the sections are there always, but the posts under them, the threads were only there for a limited time. So there's sort of a timer on those threads. And once they reach the time limit, be it a couple of days or a couple of weeks, the threads disappear. Or if they reach a post count, like on 4chan, it used to be 300 or 350 posts right. on a thread. Right. You couldn't post on that thread anymore and the thread would die off and you'd have to make a new one. So there was this constant churn of content and this constant rehashing of content and none of it really lived in perpetuity. And there was this anonymous nature to it where you had no registration. You could just go on and click the reply button and type in your reply and click post and it would post it. And there was no way to tell if the person that was replying to your post was the person that replied to your post higher up the thread <laughs> right. or if it was somebody completely different. Um, it sounds, so it sounds chaotic. It is extremely chaotic. So what that has allowed is sort of this creation of this trolling culture and mm -hmm. trolling has kind of existed on the internet for a lot longer than image boards, but it's harder when it's tied to an actual user account right? Like on Reddit, people try to troll on Reddit, but you need a user account on Reddit to be able to post. So if you try to troll, you might be able to get away with it a little bit, but somebody else can always go in and look at your post history and try to fact check or or square your troll post against your, your post history to see if that's really what you mean or not. And trolling in an internet sense is really saying something to get a reaction out of somebody else. It's not really bullying, although it can be, but it's really meant to, you say something that you don't necessarily believe. Maybe you do, maybe you don't, it doesn't matter, but you're trying to get a reaction out of the other person. Um, and usually it's something that's insulting or it's offensive. Um, so somebody might post something about being gay or being a different race. And then somebody comes in and, you know, says something racist or says something homophobic. Maybe they don't necessarily believe that, but all they're trying to do is get a reaction out of the person. Um, and when you're in this perpetually online state, you're sort of like in this state where you spend a lot of your time online. You're not spending a lot of your time in the real world where you have to face people face to face. You know, there isn't this subtlety to human interaction. You need to make things very extreme to get reactions. And that, and and I think that's like where I feel that Into the Storm documentary really captured some of those pieces. Is that like that first cue drop, that first post where it was like, okay, this is the origin of Q. It was like a post on 4chan. It was from Q Clearance Patriot, and it was posted in that thread, the calm before the storm, which was a reference to Trump's cryptic description of a U.S. military like summit that he attended and called like the calm before the storm. So the 
storm became like synonymous with this stuff where they're saying thousands of these people, Hillary Clinton included, um, were going to be arrested, imprisoned and executed for child eating pedophiles. So like the person said they had this clearance, government clearance called Q. So it was like high level of security clearance, right? So and I just I just want to say yeah. the Q clearance is something that does actually exist in the intelligence community. Mm-hmm. It is a it is a real thing. So whoever posted these first posts on 4chan I'm not saying that they were an actual government agent or whatever. But they had knowledge. They had at least read a Wikipedia page somewhere or, you know, watched a Tom Clancy movie. Right. And they so they understand some of the nuances of how government language talks. And that's, yeah. like, I think that one, that book that provides credibility to these people who are searching for truth they're searching for something like they're riled up on a website and then it kind of continues right like on youtube so it like continues to grow bigger because then you have like these people who are like q analyzers they're like experts in q and q influencers and they're people on youtube who are like translating of what the q drop means and that's one of the scariest things to me like yeah the way we translate posts of an anonymous person. So to provide a little bit more context here, why we're talking about 4chan and 8chan. So the first post appeared on 4chan on the politically incorrect board, which is one of the top level admin boards. Um, And that's where a lot of this stuff is posted. So, you know, as 4chan and 8chan went along and more extreme content was posted, you know, and as other platforms started to disallow certain types of content from being posted. Um, A lot of it very far right wing, fascist, Nazi, um, conspiracy theories, that kind of stuff was having a hard time on Facebook, on Instagram, on MySpace, places like that, or it was downright getting deleted or banned because of how vile the the posting was it migrated to these image boards which were these free speech bastions on 4chan these posts were happening and eventually at a very definite point in time it migrated to 8chan like a lot of people migrated to 8chan because 4chan was getting quote-unquote too moderated um and the nature of these posts is very cryptic. Like if you've seen anything about Nostradamus or like um, mediums or psychics or anything where the predictions or the prophecies are very cryptic, they might be kind of written in a little bit of poetic language. They're often phrased in questions. They're not providing any evidence or links to evidence. They're just sometimes word salad. That's what Paul's referring to here, mm-hmm. where there were these posts and to the average person who really wasn't paying too close attention or wasn't following these threads from post to post to post, because again, these posts would expire and disappear and you can't get them back. You can't go find that old post again. That's where this cottage industry of these Q interpreters grew up. Because there needed to be these people that archived the posts and then then 
interpreted these posts because they were extremely cryptic. So they could look at the post from May and then they could look at the post from April and they could kind of figure out from these collection of posts what's going on. And then they would provide their interpretation. So it was almost in a way kind of like a religion where you had sort of this prophet that was making these proclamations as a prophet would in a religion from God that were very cryptic. And then you would need the religious leader that could interpret what the prophet was saying, who was interpreting what God was saying. But then you would have different religious leaders grow up and they would interpret it a little bit differently. So that's kind of what was happening here. Um, So you had this whole landscape of all this information coming from Q or whoever was saying they were Q on 4chan and then whoever was saying they were Q on 8chan making these posts and sometimes making threads or sometimes just popping up on random posts at random times really wasn't a rhyme or a reason and putting this information out there and just because it was labeled Q people would take it and then try to interpret it and then you have all these different people interpreting it and then you kind of take this whole constellation of different pieces of information and different interpretations of that information. And it would sort of coalesce into this thing, this zeitgeist. And like, I know people who are listening to this are like spinning, right? Like they're, you know, like it's extremely confusing intentionally. So it's intentionally. So, and that's, then that's where I think it's like, that's the danger, right? Because we have this sort of inerrant belief in our minds that the government is corrupt. And I think that both Andrew and I would agree with QAnon supporters that there is corruption in the federal government. I think most reasonable people understand that like in many other governments, um, all around the world, people hire their friends, you know, they, uh, you know, push policy because they were paid to do so. Um, They uh, perpetuate uh, exaggerated claims because they will, they know it will rally up their base of supporters. You know, all of that just as Americans, but also as global citizens, we have to be aware that there are people trying to influence how we believe and how we think and how we feel. That's the nature of being somebody who reads the news. That's the nature of somebody who listens even to a podcast like this. Whether or not Andrew and I believe we have an agenda telling this story, we do because we're all formed through the lens of the media, through the movies, through the people that we interact with. We're all influenced by somebody somewhere, some way. So to indulge that QAnon belief, you know, to indulge that sort of like piece of cue that yes, there's corruption within our government and oh, it might be this bad. Your mind wants to jump to those crazy predictions. Your mind wants to jump to, well, maybe there are pedophiles. Well, maybe people are being eaten. Well, maybe Hillary Clinton is operating a sex dungeon in a pizza shop in the basement of Washington, (laughs) D.C. Your mind wants to believe that because sometimes you want to believe that the government is so evil. But also, like, the government, if anyone can't tell, is, like, wildly ineffective, you know? So, like, there are people 
well, hosting these podcasts and there's people hosting these like YouTube pages and there's people spreading information about this stuff that validates a lot of people who feel overseen by the government, who feel disenfranchised by what's happening in America, who feel America's frankly not great anymore. You know, um, a lot of us feel that way. A lot of us feel it for like different reasons than those people, but it latches onto a feeling of not being seen and not being heard. And then it perpetuates itself because you're all yelling the same thing, sort of in like one avenue, right? So like, I don't know if we want to jump into some of like the where Trump comes into this or where Q really comes into this, but like the idea, you know, is that Donald Trump is sort of the, savior of this movement. He's going to, you know, release us from all of these hateful acts of pedophilia and child sex trafficking and all this stuff. And then Donald Trump kind of ignorantly pretends he doesn't know what QAnon is. But if any president of the United States meets with his FBI, with his Justice Department, with anybody in Congress, or talks to anybody in the media, you all know what QAnon is, right? Like you've just heard the term at least, but he sort of in some of these events when he was running for president before he or running for reelection before he lost, he was acknowledging that QAnon exists, but was like, I don't really know much about them. I know that they're against pedophilia. I'm like, okay, you know, <laughs> like that's a great way to say that you support them without saying I can't not denounce these, but they've had failed predictions. They said Hillary Clinton's going to be arrested. They said she's going to flee the country. You know, they said there was going to be a storm on November 3rd. They said, you know, there would be a mass suicide of all of this global cabal of elite people killing themselves because of whatever reason, you know, that they were going to, you know, finally admit to their wrongdoing. There's like pieces of this conspiracy theory that I worry about and I don't want to laugh at it because people really believe this right but like it's spread across the world now it's not just the United States that it's impacting anymore and I think it's important to note that this is not new QAnon is just the latest flavor of the same sort of conspiracy theory that has been happening literally for centuries um, and if you follow that through line back into history, of course, people are tired of it. People on the right are like, oh, you're always bringing up these old conspiracy theories. Like no one really believes that, but they're all tied together. A lot of it goes back to very anti-Semitic conspiracy theories. We've used a lot of these keywords here tonight. We've said the globalists, the global cabal, pedophiles, Satanists, these are all terms that have been used to describe these anti-Semitic conspiracy theories for a very, very long time. And this is sort of just a, a modern take on those old conspiracy theories that have persisted throughout history and birthed things like Nazism mm -hmm. in the 1920s and the 1930s. Um, and these are right-wing and white supremacist reactions to what you were saying. We all basically have the same problems. 
And, you know, we've talked about this a lot on this podcast where a lot of this kind of goes back to a central core issue. And that's just class struggle, class warfare, mm-hmm. where there is this 1% or this 0.1% who own all the corporations, they own a lot of the media, which, you know, uh, you all like to make fun of me for being the Republican of the podcast, but <laughs> that is true. That right there, yeah. There is a lot of crossover between what people on the left and the right would say is the problem, but it's how people address that problem, which kind of, is the problem, right? Mm -hmm. Um, So we have this class warfare. We have this rampant capitalism that's unregulated. It's unchecked. We have corporations that are basically monopolies, but legally just below the threshold to be considered a monopoly. Um, They don't pay almost any tax in most tax years, they're able to do all these funky accounting things to keep their money all over the world without having to pay tax on it in the United States, but they function in the United States and they're United States companies. Um, The corruption without being explicitly corrupt. Exactly. (laughs) They can pay lip service to climate change and climate science, something that we've talked about on this podcast again a lot, but then they manufacture in countries that have little to no climate regulations um, and they're major polluters in other countries. So, you know, they can tout what they do in the United States, but ultimately it doesn't matter because they're Biggest market may be in Asia where there's very little regulation and all of that product ends up in the ocean or in landfills or unrecycled anyway. So it really doesn't matter what they do here in the United States. It matters what they're doing globally. And as we go on as humanity, everything becomes more connected. We become a more global people. What happens in one country is way more important to all the other countries. It doesn't matter which country we're talking about. These are very real problems. We're all experiencing it. We're all experiencing depressed wages. We're all experiencing rising costs of everything. We're all experiencing the fatigue and the loneliness that comes with big tech and social media isolation, these affect all of us. But the way we talk about these problems or the way we've decided or the the reason we've decided these problems are happening is very, very different where I feel that on the more left-leaning side of the spectrum, we, we recognize more readily what the issues are, um, who's really affecting us. It is that 1%. You know, the Occupy Wall Street movement kind of failed, but it was correct in a lot of ways about what the real issues were. Mm -hmm. But then there's this QAnon thing, or, you know, if you go farther back, there's the Protocols of the Elders of Zion, which was the premier (laughs) anti-Semitic conspiracy theory in the early 1900s. All of these things were basically saying, 
oh, well, there's like this just gigantic global conspiracy theory and it kind of all goes back to the Jews. Now they're called the globalists and they own everything and they're satanic and they're anti-Christian and they eat babies and that's not it, man. Yeah, yeah. But I think you're right that, you know, you talked about it. Our approach is that I think... um you know, on the Democratic side, we feel we are fighting back against major corporations, against, um, you know, the global elites, against um, the people who have more money than we could ever imagine. We feel like we're fighting back against them by voting. We feel like we're fighting back against them by talking on social media. Um, we feel like we are fighting back against them by highlighting how corrupt they are, be it through an infographic, like what I do, or, you know, through a podcast, like what somebody else does, whether it's just through conversation with daily people, we fight in that way versus I feel some of the people who have been become involved in the QAnon movement, the QAnon conspiracy theory is that they become disillusioned. And that's like one of the words that I think is like often used in, 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 um, describing QAnon. And I found this quote online, just kind of while you were talking, that people in the QAnon community often talk about alienation from family and friends, though they typically talk about how Q frayed their relationships on private groups. But they think these issues are temporarily and primarily the fault of others. They often comfort themselves by imagining that there will be a moment a vindication sometime near in the future, which will prove their beliefs to be right. Then they imagine that after this happens, not only will their relationships be restored, but people will turn to them as leaders who understand what's going on better than the rest of us. And I feel very strongly that the QAnon believers in my life who have never out and proud said that they believe QAnon, but they have said a lot of things that lead me to believe that, that that's exactly how they feel is that they're fine to treat me like shit. They're fine to disconnect with me. They're fine to, you know, tell me that I'm wrong and that I'm divisive and that I'm ignorant. And I live in this cloud of liberalism and snowflakes. And that one day there will be this, falling of an empire. Well, I will have found out that Hillary Clinton was a pedophile and that Joe Biden ate babies. And again, those are the crazier parts of the conspiracy theory, right? Um, but but there's going to be a storming of the Capitol for people to cre to take their country back that will be successful. They're waiting for me to come back into their life. And what they don't realize, and I think what both of us have experienced is that we're not going to come back in their life. We're not going to, you know, change. And because we don't believe that these events are going to happen. We don't believe that there's going to be one day a mass arrest of thousands of people. And we certainly don't believe that Donald Trump is the savior of that either that Donald Trump will be the one to call that out. And that's where I think we really differ in our approach of I'm frustrated just as equally as these other people around the fact that corporations and the fact that the media and the fact that big tech can make us think, feel, act a certain way. But I don't believe that it's because of these sort of hidden conspiracy theories in the basement of a pizza shop. So I really 
don't think I'll ever go back to these people. It would take them to apologize to me, right? Because my worldview is based in what my worldview is. And sure, maybe mine is, you know, impacted by the media, but there's been so many failed QAnon (laughs) conspiracies from, you know, uh, that John came, John McCain was going to resign from the Senate, um, not die in the Senate, that a smoking gun video of Hillary Clinton would emerge, um, that there would be a bombshell revelation about North Korea in May of 2018, that there was a major event involving the Department of Defense that would happen on February 1st, 2018, that, you know, there would be a car bombing in London in 2018. Like none of these things happened. And then they continue to rationalize, spin the story and go back to these dates. That That's why people saw, I think, so much anger on January 6th as people stormed the Capitol because it was like, you know what? If nothing's going to happen, we are the ones. We are, when we go one, we go all. That's their slogan. That's how I started this podcast. We're going to storm the Capitol because we are Q, because we are going to take our country back. Because all of these events, these 40, 50, 60 events that were these giant Q drops and hints of what were going to happen didn't happen. And so it was, let me react in the most drastic way I know possible of trying to steal the electoral college. And as we're going to talk about after a quick break, Donald Trump is not this savior. Donald Trump is not the person that, you know, these people believe is going to save them from this global ring of pedophiles. If anything, Donald Trump has contributed to that. And We'll be back with more in a second to talk about this, but we're going in. (laughs) Woo! So we're back. And um, I think like I want to not necessarily lighten the mood a little bit because this is a heavy topic, but like um, I just kind of want to acknowledge like um, if you are feeling like this episode is heavy, if you feel a little bit powerless, um, you know, we're going to give you a little bit more insight, um, not only just in future episodes, but also, you know, in this episode right now, um, just kind of like how far this has gone. You know, like one of the questions that I asked at the very beginning is like, Andrew, like, where's Q now? Like, what are they doing now? You know? And I think that everybody should watch, you know, into the storm, the sort of great awakening, like what, what Q is, who Q is potentially Q has not dropped something in six months to the day. Many QAnon supporters are feeling lost. Um, You know, many people are feeling like they failed. This is fake, you know, but there's also reality to this that um, it's politically beneficial for Donald Trump to embrace QAnon directly or indirectly. It's politically beneficial for him because he can rally up their votes, but also because the media wants ratings, the media wants viewers, the media wants, you know, people to tune into their stories every night and then come back in again, right? That goes for every media outlet. That even goes for Andrew and I as, you know, two podcasters right now. Of course, we want you to to tie back and think that we're interesting, right? But like, there's a concerted effort here that if a conservative media outlet or if a conservative candidate endorses some of these theories about how the world works, then people will follow them. People will vote for them. They'll be able to rally people up. That's where sort of our fight comes in, but that's also sort of like where our proof comes in. Like, you know, right before the break, I was kind of talking to Andrew about like Trump and how Trump is no sacred 
person in this movement. And, you know, Trump is not necessarily an unguilty party. Um, but talking about these sort of like failed things and feeding the desire, feeding the hunger, like of, of what these people need to feel like they are moving forward in this movement is like a lot. It's overwhelming to think about. And it's kind of scary to think about. And Andrew, I know you kind of had some thoughts around those like big societal cultural beliefs that not everybody's a QAnon person, but you're seeing it somewhere. A lot of, lots of people are being impacted by this somewhere. Yeah. I think it's easy to dismiss this as a conspiracy theory. Um, and it's on these sort of niche websites that, you know, ultimately if you were to look at the usership of Facebook or Reddit versus 4chan or 8chan, like those image boards, they don't have a ton of users in the same way as more mainstream sites do. And it's easy to say, oh, like this is a fringe belief. But fringe beliefs have power. All ideas have power. The taxation without representation of leaving the British monarchy was yes. a fringe belief. <laughs> and that's an important point. This country was really founded on that idea of personal liberty and individualism and ruggedness. And this is what that feeds into. Um, and I think that's, again, sort of a separation between the left of the spectrum and the right of the spectrum, where the left of the spectrum of the political spectrum is more interested in collectivism, is more interested in community. Um, I don't want to say communism because that's become a slur since the 1950s. But even just that term, if you take it at face value, communal, <laughs> communal, right? Yeah. And these conspiracy theories like this, again, we said, we're all experiencing the same problems. We all kind of have a common enemy. We all sort of recognize those effects in our lives. It's just how we go about addressing those or where we think the effect is coming from. And on the right, it's more about this individualism. It's more about what you as a person can do. And there's sort of this heroism to these people who are disenfranchised. They feel like they're cut off. They feel lonely. They feel disconnected. They feel left out in the cold. Uh, and there's a lot of reasons for that, that we just can't get into on this particular episode because we'd be here for hours and hours and hours. Um, so their response to it is these finding these nuggets on these image boards um, or these YouTube channels that people don't know about. And you kind of feel like the hero in your own narrative of you found the secret information and you can do something about it and you're going to be a hero. And then it ultimately culminates in breaking into the United States Capitol and trying to break down a door and getting shot to death. So my concern with these things is, again, like I said at the top of the episode, I love conspiracy theories. I'm, I'm very fascinated by them. <laughs> you know, I love movies 
and books like The Da Vinci Code. It's sort of a guilty pleasure, but I love National Treasure. There's sort of like this oh. magic to it. Iconic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you find this secret information. You're the person who finds the information. And that's kind of why I love conspiracy theories. And again, it's sort of storytelling. And a lot of them are, are fairly harmless. But the way they all kind of interconnect and there's this through line between QAnon and these centuries-old anti-Semitic conspiracy theories – Using Nazi propaganda, you know. Nazi propaganda. Yeah. It's on the fringe. And and the right wants to dismiss it and say, oh, well, you just say everything is white supremacy. Or you say everything is Nazism. Or you're constantly redefining the term white nationalism. And you apply it to everything you just don't like. But these ideas start on the fringe. They're just out there on these websites. And you know, full disclosure in the early 2000s, that's often where I went. I mean, you mentioned it too, Paul, like you heard about this thing, your buddy told you, oh, there's this crazy video of this politician committing suicide live on camera. What? Where are you going to go? You're going to go to 4chan. I saw that video. As soon as you said that, I knew exactly what video you were talking about because I saw it on 4chan myself too. You know, you think about people who were captured by Taliban fighters or ISIS or the wars in Chechnya who were beheaded. You could find those videos on 4chan and -hmm. you could see them. In addition to you could see just hardcore porn you couldn't find on any other website. Whatever you were into that you couldn't find on a mainstream website, you could find on those websites. And these are normal people. You're just talking about like your average person, your average teen, you become more connected. You have a faster internet connection. You're left alone in your house for various reasons. Um, You know, no longer can you make it as a, as a, one income household. Now both your parents are out of the house. You come home after school and you're on the internet. What are you going to do to entertain yourself? Uh, You're either playing Xbox or Nintendo or you're on 4chan Um, and you're seeing these things and then you grow up and then you join the workforce and these ideas are able to filter out. And these are things that if you see them over and over and over again, they become more mainstream. And there's also a filtering system that exists on the right where you have these really extreme ideas. They're out on 4chan. They're out on 8chan. They're on the fringe portions of Reddit before Reddit really started cracking down. I mean, even now on YouTube, there is extreme right-wing content that is still there if you know how to look for it. And the algorithm rewards the you with the things you want to see. If you watch one type of video, you're going to see more videos of that type. You start at the top of the funnel and you go down the funnel until you are in really extreme content, even on a site like YouTube that is owned by Google. You know, it's kind of a fallacy to think that the major tech companies for all their lip service to like banning extreme ideas it is really in their best interest as capitalist corporations to allow that content to exist. Oh, 
for but, sure. But do it in a way that is less visible. So it's more there for the people that know what they're looking for. Right. Maybe a QAnon supporter is not trending, but if you watch one Q video, you're going to see yes. 12. You know, just like I, when I watch a video of a drag queen, I see fucking 50 drag queen videos right after that that are on autoplay that validate my beliefs that drag queens are iconic human beings. <laughs> a perfect example of this is there is a Canadian white nationalist, white supremacist named Stefan Molyneux. He's gone on Joe Rogan. He's gone on Dave Rubin. He's gone on a lot of these these other shows that are more, quote unquote, mainstream. Um, he had a YouTube channel. His YouTube channel was banned. But if you go on YouTube and you search his name, you're going to find plenty of content of him talking. And it's not going to be content saying that he's bad. It's going to just be his him up on stage talking or people reposting his videos that got banned from his channel that got banned. And this is sort of the funnel where you have these extremely fringe beliefs and they get filtered until they end up basically in grandma's inbox. And we've talked about him before, but one of the major filters is Tucker Carlson. So it starts out there on the fringe and then it gets to somebody like Stefan Molyneux. Well, really, it gets to somebody like Richard Spencer, who comes right out and says, I'm a white nationalist. And then those ideas from Richard Spencer get to somebody like Stefan Molyneux because Stefan Molyneux does an interview with Richard Spencer. And he's not, well, I'm not endorsing Richard Spencer. I'm just talking to him and I'm just posing the question, isn't it? Isn't it nice that Sweden, a predominantly white state, has lower crime rates than Chicago? It's the Ben Shapiro light. It of is it all. the Ben Shapiro light. <laughs> and then that idea from Stefan Molyneux, which is filtered down from Richard Spencer, ends up at Tucker Carlson. And then Tucker Carlson just asked the question, hey, why does Chicago have such a high crime rate? Compared to Spokane. <laughs> and then it filters down to somebody else like Sean Hannity or somebody less extreme than Tucker Carlson. Right. Somebody palatable like Joe Rogan, somebody yep. palatable, you know, like, um, you know, Ben Shapiro. Joe Rogan had Stefan Molyneux on. Right. And Alex Jones. And Alex Jones has talked to and interviewed multiple times Stefan Molyneux. You know, you painted a great picture of this sort of filter of there's all these people in this ecosystem, you know, and their primary sort of method of delivery is around palatability. So you have Ben Shapiro and Joe Rogan being the most palatable for these sort of libertarian free thinkers, free thought. That's what you described at the beginning of the podcast. Then you have the people who are a little bit more extreme. You have Tucker Carlson, you have Sean Hannity you know, Bill O'Reilly before he was kicked off the show. And then you jump into it and then you have literal white supremacists talking about their beliefs. Um, you know, so it's all mixed in together. Yet this common belief is that, you know, Donald Trump is going to save people from 
pedophilia when we all know because of what he did in the Miss America pageants and what he's done in, in reference to his daughters, the things that he said, um, the things that he said about Joe Biden, you know, like this is not a man who is any poster child for good, fair, righteous relationships. You know, how many times has he been married? How many times has he made inappropriate comments about his children or what society would deem as typically inappropriate comments about his children? And, you know, so the idea that this man, you know, can sort of save us from pedophilia doesn't necessarily correlate with the type of person that he is being involved in you know, Miss Teen USA pageants or Miss America pageants, whatever they were, you know, and I know we have a couple of clips that we're going to play so that people can can listen to them. Um, but that doesn't really track for me <laughs> in terms yeah. of who is saving people from pedophilia. Yeah. And we'll listen to the clip now. So, uh, uh, Donald. Mm. All right. I, I'm, I'm afraid to ask this question, but what would you do? Playboy put Ivanka on the cover of the magazine and she had not. This is going to be an interesting answer. <laughs> she, he doesn't even want you to have a drink. I know it. So. It would be really disappointing. Not really. But it would depend on what was inside the magazine. If, oh, no, if oh. she posed, it would be fine. But if they put her picture yeah, on. Yeah, but it depends on what goes inside the magazine. Well, see, inside that's her gripe. That's right. this girl's gripe. And, and people there assume nothing. there'll be nude, nude photos. Right, you do assume Misleading. that with Playboy. Okay, she, but if there the weren't, you wouldn't have an issue with it then. If they were using her to... I don't think Ivanka would do that inside the magazine, although she does have a very nice figure. I've said that if Ivanka weren't my daughter, perhaps I'd be dating her. You know? <laughs> Stop it! Oh, it's so weird! Stop it! You know it. what? You are sick! Yeah. 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 Well, you're terrible. known for saying is outrageous things. You know, this is fascinating to me because there is so much evidence that Trump is not the champion that these people want him to be. Uh, he's a billionaire. Uh, he grew up with, I mean, it wasn't a silver spoon. It was a whole fucking gold bar up his ass. Um, <laughs> he exploited the situation with organized crime in New York City in the 70s and 80s to build his real estate empire. Um he claims to be this great businessman, but so much of his business empire has failed um, from just terrible business practices. I mean, all of that is like, whatever. If you're a terrible businessman, who cares? But right, right. then there's this whole, this whole narrative with Q is, and this goes back to all those anti-Semitic beliefs. Um, I'm going to throw some terms out there. You can look at them up on your own. The Protocols of the Elders of Zion blood libel. These are old, old, centuries old beliefs that are now in QAnon form. Basically, um, there's a them, there's a global cabal, and they're these Satanists. They kill and eat babies, or they're consuming the adrenochrome of the babies. And a lot of the people on the right also made a huge deal out of Jeffrey Epstein, which they absolutely should. Again, here's the commonality. Jeffrey Epstein, horrible, evil human being. The people who associated with him, and we'll say it right now, Bill Clinton. Bill Clinton flew with him on his plane. It wasn't just, oh, he was seen with him at some parties or whatever. Mm -hmm. Bill Clinton went with him on his plane multiple times. There was records of him going to the island, the fucking island. Mm -hmm. We'll say it right now. 
Bill Clinton's a rapist. He's been incredibly accused. Fuck that guy. And the same yeah. thing with Trump. Trump has been incredibly accused of rape. Trump has a long history of going on the record saying creepy shit on Howard Stern on a hot mic in Billy Bush's bus saying, when you're famous, you can just grab women by the pussy. Roll the clip. I moved on her like a bitch, but I couldn't get there. And she was married. And all of a sudden I see her, she's now got the big phony tits and everything. She's totally changed her look. She's your girl's hot as shit. I gotta use some Tic Tacs just in case I start kissing her. You know, I'm automatically attracted to beautiful. I just start kissing them. It's like a magnet. You just kiss. I don't even wait. And when you're a star, they let you do it. You can do anything. Whatever you want. Grab them by the pussy. <laughs> I can do anything. This is not a man that's good at acting. This is him at his most real right here. Mm-hmm. You know, when I say conspiracy theory, my family often says, oh, you're trying to shut us down. You're trying to say what we say is not valid. Uh, these beliefs that we hold are not valid. You just label everything that you don't like as a conspiracy theory. And that's not necessarily true. What I mean by that is there's a difference between a conspiracy and a conspiracy theory. Again, we've talked about this. Um, Erica, who is no longer with us, has talked about this before <laughs> with me. There are real conspiracies. She actually just texted us. She actually just texted us and called us. Uh, did she really? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That tracks. That tracks. Um, there are real conspiracies that have happened throughout history, like MK Ultra, where the CIA, through a lot of different front organizations, basically experimented with mind-altering drugs on unwitting subjects. Literally, the Unabomber became the Unabomber because he got dosed with so much LSD without his knowledge that it basically fried his brain and turned him paranoid. The CIA basically created the Unabomber. That is mm -hmm. a real conspiracy that really happened. There's documented proof of this. The difference mm -hmm. is with the conspiracy theory is there's sort of these malleable, ephemeral, flexible things that no matter what happens, they roll with the punches. And you mentioned this, Paul, where there's been all these predictions with QAnon, sort of like Nostradamus. There's been these predictions and they're vague enough that people try to take an event that actually happened and fit them to one of these predictions that came months ago, um, but they don't quite fit, but they're vague enough that they try to make it fit or a date comes and passes because Q would post about very specific dates. And then those dates would come and go without any discernible event happening, no news happening. And then people would try to explain it away. Oh, well, this is part of the plan. They would say that, trust the plan. Capital P. Capital P, trust the plan. And, and this was a fake out. You know, they put this out there so that the establishment or the deep state would be on guard and then they're actually going to strike at a different time. And then a couple of weeks later, Q would come back with another Q drop and there would be a new date and then that would come and go. And that's sort of the difference where there is a finite amount of time that an actual conspiracy happens and there's a small group of people that are involved in that. And eventually, because of the nature of 
humanity, this information comes out. People can't keep their mouths shut mm -hmm. forever. Information does not stay buried forever. We find this stuff out. It's a silly example because most people don't believe this, but take the moon landing, for instance. How many mm -hmm. tens of thousands of people would have had to be in on that and never talked? <laughs> yeah. Nobody ever came forward. But my family member who believes in Q was saying at 16, 17 years old that the moon landing was faked. It's, 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 there's a DNA of people who I think believe this stuff. And I think that it's the same thing with the anti-vax movement yeah. and the anti-mask movement is if Trump is the savior and Trump is telling you don't wear a mask you'll get a vaccine soon but who knows if it'll be safe and then oh no we're not getting a vaccine there's all of this flip-flopping and all this back and forth and you know he's doubting the seriousness of an illness he's doubting you know that 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 masks work he's doubting that you know any of this has anything to 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 do with an actual disease that that is just killing people he believes in this conspiracy you know he believes that this is the quote unquote kung flu and so anti-vaxxers now become part of qanon right these susceptible young white men become part of qanon these people who are lonely and feel that they you know like like, like Q gives them some purpose to rile things up inside of them. Like that becomes like QAnon and all of these ideas are meshed together and you can rationalize. You can say, well, I believe in Q, but I don't believe that Joe Biden needs babies. It's like, I just kind of believe, you know, it's no, no, no. Like, like, like we need to help you get out of this. Yeah. You can believe that, you know, the media had a shitty role in making coronavirus, you know, like seem more awful than it was. And it's not that the coronavirus isn't awful, but they focused so hard on negative news and the hospitalizations and the death rate versus they never focused on the success. They never focused on like the quote unquote healthcare heroes beyond just the claps for them. It was just the death count. You know, you can be mad about that. I think people have a right to be mad about that. But to say that the disease doesn't exist, to say that the vaccination is going to kill you or that you're going to get a microchip inside of you or that there's something to do with 5G, no, like that's just not, that's, it's not grounded in any base of reality versus you can say, you know, this coronavirus thing, it doesn't really look like I'm going to die from it. I'll probably try to stay away from people, but I think I'll probably be fine. But damn, this seems really serious. Like there's a balance here. There's a balance between how people understand and interpret facts and act upon facts. And then there's the opposite side of it, which is like, how people manipulate and distort. And I think that we see that like nowhere else with Tucker Carlson's recent, you know, rage against vaccines. You know, we know how he's feeling about masks, but the stuff that came out this week about Tucker Carlson and his belief in vaccines is kind of shocking to think that he's the most watched program in the entire United States. This kind of ties it all back to Trump and American conservatism as it is right now, there can't be a spectrum. You have to be in this one narrow idea or you're out. And, and that is how these conspiracy theories work. And I really believe that there really aren't any new conspiracy theories. They just sort of morph. And like I've been saying all along during multiple times throughout this podcast, QAnon is just the most recent 
modern iteration of these conspiracy theories that have come before it. I mean, even with flat earth, if you if you scratch under the surface of the flat earth, which, which is funny to say because it's all whole flat surface, but if you scratch <laughs> under that surface, you will find that the majority of them believe, again, it is this Jewish conspiracy to somehow subjugate us by making us live on this flat earth, but telling us it's actually a round planet. So again, with all of these fringe extreme beliefs, they're all interconnected. They're all related and they all kind of fit together. And, and none of them can refute any of the others because once they say, Oh, well that one over there is completely wrong, but my fringe belief is actually the right one. They can't do that because they're all sort of connected. And then, then it'll kind of invalidate the whole landscape of these beliefs. So when you're somebody like Tucker Carlson and you start down this path and on the right wing, and the far right wing, a lot of that is conspiracy theories. When you go back to Nazi Germany, there was actually a lot of occultists, and they believed a lot of this pseudoscientific race science in the same way that Americans that were pro-slavery did in the 1800s, that they believed that the skull shape of African people was different from white people. And that meant their brain chemistry was different so that they weren't actually humans in the way that white people were humans. If you go back far enough, you see all of these pseudoscientific beliefs. You can't invalidate these things for, for fear of invalidating your belief. Once you open that door you have to buy in completely. The one thing that white supremacists say is hiding their power level. They're very obsessed with optics, trying to get their ideas out there without coming off as a white supremacist. Somebody like Stefan Molyneux will never come out and say, I'm a white supremacist, or I think that white people should just live in a country by themselves. They ask the question or they suggest it, but they can't ever say it outright. Just, just curious about your ideas. Yeah. And yeah. I mean, it. it's, you know, we can't, we can't dismiss <sighs> this idea outright. We have to entertain all ideas, you know, not anything that's on the far left, of course, but we have to entertain all ideas. Um, and that is where we see somebody like Tucker Carlson at, who is this major filter for these ideas into mainstream conservative consciousness. You know, you can't believe that there's like a global cabal and also believe that, you know, getting up to herd immunity with vaccines is the way we're going to end this pandemic. You have to necessarily be against vac these vaccines. And then if you're against these vaccines, you have to be against all vaccines. You have to become anti-vax or it invalidates your entire conspiratorial position. I think you're right that Fox News is sort of towing the line here. And I think that sometimes they embrace it more than they care to. But this is also about the power of corporations sort of fighting back. Um, you know, this is the power of corporations saying, you know, 
I don't want to advertise on your show anymore. I don't want to be associated with this act anymore. I don't want to support you and your belief about the insurrection. And if you're if you're not familiar, you know, with this story, advertisers are pulling out like on mass from advertising on Fox News. And now the largest advertiser <laughs> on Fox News is my pillow. It's that that CEO from my pillow talking about how he stands for conservative beliefs. And then these other sort of like companies are not all that familiar. You know, they're like Nutrisystem is one, again, basically a giant Ponzi scheme, you know. And there's all these other companies that are sort of like part of of who's advertising on on Tucker Carlson at night. But like he's losing advertising money left and right because of what he's perpetuating. So there is power in corporations. There is power in the ability to silence. Um, You know, there is power in the ability to sort of defund Tucker Carlson tonight. But it's like, if we don't continue to share these things and make these connections between anti maskers, anti-vaxxers, you know, anti-freedom, anti-free speech, anti, you know, voting rights, uh, all these things that these people are against, um, pro-white supremacy, um, all these things that these people are against are just going to continue to perpetuate if we don't start to sort of speak out against some of this stuff. And we have to raise the awareness of sort of what is happening here. Um, So I think it's, great that we talk about this. I think it's important for us to understand and check in and challenge the beliefs of those people who watch Tucker Carlson, of those people who are pulling ads from the most watched show on America because of his ties to QAnon um, and because of some of his beliefs and what he's saying, you know, Disney, uh, uh, Papa John's even now, Poshmark, all these companies are just done advertising T-Mobile, you know, like all these companies are just sort of done with, with, you know, advertising on this man's channel. But in some aspects, what scares me is that by not advertising on Tucker Carlson anymore, do they give validation to the Q believes and the Q truths that the global cabal, that these elites, that these Hollywood stars are against you for your beliefs. Tucker says, nobody's even advertising here anymore because you know why? I'm the free speech guy, you know? I think what we're seeing is these conspiracy theories are self-validating. There's an internal logic to them. They don't make sense in the real world. They don't make sense when you think about them critically or logically, but there's an internal logic to them. And they're structured in such a way that the lack of evidence is evidence for their existence. Advertisers pulling out from the show because they don't want the heat or because people at those companies genuinely believe these ideas are harmful. We don't want to stand for corporations on this podcast. Let's make that very clear. But when those advertisers pull out the internal logic of these conspiracies are saying that is proof that what we're saying is true. Mm -hmm. This is my fear with all of this, the Trump ban, the Facebook stuff, the, yes, The fact that Q hasn't posted since early December. 
some people might say, oh, this is good. Trump was kicked off of Facebook and Twitter. Q has seemingly disappeared. But ultimately, Q and Trump as individuals really don't matter. And I don't want to spoil it, but please watch that HBO documentary. You're probably going to come to the conclusion that Q is a particular person after watching. I don't want to spoil the surprise. Just watch it. But (laughs) Q and Trump as individuals don't really matter. What matters is the ideas. When Trump was the candidate in early 2016, people like Richard Spencer endorsed him. Other far-right, white nationalist, white supremacist groups and individuals endorsed Trump. As the months and the years wore on, it became apparent that Trump was for Trump and he wasn't really doing everything that they had hoped that he would do. And a lot of those really extreme people sort of disavowed him and became disenfranchised with him. But those ideas from those extreme people, he did help filter and funnel those into mainstream culture. I think we're going to see that again with QAnon. Maybe Q is never going to post again. Maybe Q as a thing and QAnon is going to go away. But like we have said repeatedly, Q and QAnon are just the most recent iterations of a set of conspiracy theories that have cropped up in different ways for centuries. And sometimes they don't have a great effect. And sometimes they turn into World War II. So Q and Trump, they're grifters. They're really nothing more than that. So as individuals, eh, they're kind of inconsequential. But as ideas, they're extremely powerful. And they've really affected our country and just the mainstream public consciousness. I mean, nothing is more evident of that than January 6th. Yeah. You know, for the most part, they were working class Americans that have the same problems that every other working class American has. And they just want a resolution to it. So while people on the left or people on the more liberal side or the progressive side, whatever you want to call it, of the political spectrum may recognize the emperor isn't wearing any clothes. What happens to those who so intensely believe that the emperor was wearing clothes? It's not like the problems that allowed Q and Trump to explode into mainstream politics and the public consciousness have gone away. Those ideas have seeped out from the dark corners of the internet into the minds of normies, filtered by the likes of Tucker Carlson and Candace Owens. It really doesn't even matter if people recognize that none of this is real. It fits their worldview. We mentioned earlier the protocols of the elders of Zion in the 1920s and in the 1930s the white supremacists and the nationalists that eventually became the Nazi party and nationalist movements in South America, believe it or not, actually recognized that the Protocols of the Elders of Zion was a hoax. It was a hoax that was originally published in Russia in 1903. They knew it was a hoax, but they literally said it didn't matter because it 
allowed them to control the narrative and to get people who were disenfranchised and and struggling onto their side by creating this common enemy to unite their base in a populist nationalist movement. I feel hopefully that we've avoided that, that we have narrowly been missed by that bullet. But Trump is back with his website. And hopefully it just stays as this shitty little blog. (laughs) I hope. We have to be careful that he doesn't come back. And the danger here is our whole political system is designed around money. As our entire way of life is designed around money, he is collecting donations. He is selling merch. What is he doing with that money? Where is he funneling that money? He doesn't have to report it. He doesn't have to tell anybody where what he is doing with their donations or where that money is going. So while we dodged one bullet, there may be more. I agree. Um, and I think that's well said. Um, I think that like I'll leave this episode too with a challenge that as hard as this is going to be, And as much as you can protect your mental health, try not to cut QAnon followers from your life because the more we cut them off, the deeper they go. I'm guilty of of cutting some off in my life because I needed to protect my mental health. It's not your job to save them, but at some point, these people might be too far gone. Um, They might become enroped and enveloped in these theories. It's deep and it's easy to get sucked in. It's easy to believe that there's truth in it because it's so hard to disprove. So we'll talk about it in another episode of how to be compassionate to QAnon followers, how to support them, how to bring them back to some semblance of reality. Um, But for now, just be mindful and stay vigilant and make sure that you're aware of the types of information that they're consuming, because it doesn't matter if it's on Tucker Carlson. It doesn't matter if it's Donald Trump on his new website. It doesn't matter, frankly, if it's, you know, um, an actual conspiracy theory website like Acun or Achan or 4chan, but like all of it is dangerous and all of it is harmful. So please be mindful. But this has been another episode of Let's Unpack That. I don't know that anybody enjoyed this episode, but I hope that you found it enlightening. So if you found it enlightening, please like, rate, subscribe, comment, review, whatever you need to do. Thank you all for listening. We'll talk to you on Monday. (laughs) 